Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn, and today more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to up-level your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. to have Kate Benkin with me today from Microsoft. She's vice president and lead of Microsoft Philanthropies. Well, I have been a keen admirer of Microsoft ever since the company started putting a computer on everyone's desk. Uh, Well, they put the software in those computers. And in 2003, I found my company at the time, Cone, meeting with a whole group of their executives to talk about social impact. What became of that was their first overarching campaign called Unlimited Potential. And it started them down a path to do more than just make great technology. Well, I'm thrilled today to talk about the next evolution in terms of its extensive engagement in its four focus areas in society. Under the leadership of Satya Nadella, he created bold goals and detailed plans. He transformed the culture from being hyper-competitive to also include a sense of purpose and empathy, especially how the company operates and how employees show up for work. They went from an organization of know-it-alls to an organization of learn-it-alls. Microsoft Philanthropies brings the company's vision to life by helping to empower communities and NGOs to realize the potential of technology. So welcome, Kate. Thank you, Carol. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. We're going to get into Kate's background and we'll have a wonderful conversation, but I want to start to just give a sense of the context of Microsoft. And this is the CEO letter in their CSR report, and it was called Reimagining a Better Future Together. While the start of a new decade typically brings hope, we quickly saw the world come to a near standstill in 2020. It is easy to fall prey to pessimism or the sense that we individually or as a company can't make a difference. But helplessness is corrosive to hope, and hope plus work is what is required. Amid this disruption, what's clear is that we have a once in a generation opportunity to harness digital technology to define the world we want to live in. And for that, I'm optimistic. It is in times like these that our ability to stay true to Microsoft's mission and corporate purpose is of the utmost importance. As a company, we are steadfast in our mission to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. Well, today's conversation is going to define 
What does achieve more mean? Now, I want to go a little further um, because Satya Nadella is, I'm a fangirl of his. I've read his books. I, I read everything that he says. He is such an empathetic and powerful leader. And in fact, congratulations, Kate, because you were just named to number three in Fortune's Most Admired list, and you've been on the list since it was started in 1998. So congratulations. Thanks, Carol. Um, look, I'm so proud of the work that Microsoft does and has been doing for a long time, uh, focused on different societal impact initiatives around the world. And I will say uh, leadership comes from the top. Um, and, and so it's, you know, Satya is such a, uh, a support for the social impact work that the company does and continues to push us to do more as we should. Can you just talk a little bit what does microsoft philanthropies do i mean we always say that we uh you know like we help bring the company's mission to life by helping to empower communities and nonprofits to realize the potential of technology and so we do that through a focus on digital skilling initiatives so helping underserved communities um, get access to the digital skills needed to get jobs and improve improve livelihoods um, we help nonprofits leverage technology to build their own capacity so that they can grow and scale and and do more advance their own missions we help empower communities through our employee engagement program and also through some of our uh, um, investments in strategic communities around the world and then we think about ways that we can act as a convener and bring others to the table and we don't we, we, we don't do all of this work alone. I don't think we do any of that work alone. We do all of our work in, in close partnership with nonprofits, with the private sector, government, and by investing in strategic communities around the world. I want to tell our viewers that you have been with Microsoft a long time, 22 years, and you were in Australia for eight years, EMEA for three, Netherlands for two. And maybe your accent gives it away a little bit. And you also are a lawyer by training. So love to hear a little bit about your journey through Microsoft. And, you know, why does a legal background and then also you were chief of staff to President Brad Smith. Why all of that has come together in this point in time to make you the perfect person to be the leader of this extraordinary group? I, I started at Microsoft um, 22 years ago. It makes me feel very old, actually. Um, but I started as a junior, very junior little baby lawyer um, and spent 13 years working in international roles, um, eight years, as you said, in Australia, and then five years actually based in, in Copenhagen. And I then had the opportunity to move to Seattle to Microsoft headquarters in 2012 for what was then a two-year development opportunity and that sort of grew into a three-year opportunity and that grew into the chief of staff role for, for Brad Smith, who's, as you said, is the president of Microsoft. And it was really in that role that I got more visibility to more of the social impact work the company does. And I had the opportunity in that role to help develop and incubate things like TechSpark, which is a community engagement initiative in the, in the U.S., and see some of the social impact work that Microsoft was supporting around the world. And I had the chance to meet so many of our nonprofit partners doing incredible work all around the world as well. And I think it was that, that work that really opened my eyes to this work at Microsoft and 
lit the fire in me for this for this work. And I and I saw then, and I, I, I see now every day the huge responsibility and the opportunity that Microsoft has to address some of the biggest societal challenges around the world. So it was really all of those experiences that kind of opened the door to this broader opportunity leading Microsoft Philanthropies. So when you got that position, I'm, I'm assuming that Brad sat you down and you're having a conversation about your career and your advancement. And then you talked about this. How did you feel? Oh, well, I think initially I was, I was really over, overwhelmed. Um, and it was a conversation. It wasn't one conversation. Conversation over, you know, quite a quite a long period of time. This, you know, this might sound strange, just given given my role leading philanthropies. But I think I I I I'm not so focused on philanthropies. I'm I'm really focused on the initiatives that that we care about and that we're trying to support. And I see philanthropies as one way, as one vehicle to help address those challenges. But we should be looking at, you know, all the resources and all the different kinds of partnerships that we can have internally and externally to help uh, to help address those challenges. And I know that when we worked with you, it was just massive. And to try and connect the dots and to your point, focus on the assets and then bring them together in terms of a, a thematic that's really going to going to be focused. Um, I know that the focus is absolutely a cornerstone of the work you do. So can you talk about the areas that you focus on? Because it allows you obviously to pick and choose where you're going to put your assets and your energies. Yes, we, we have tried to, it's something I've been working on with the team, you know, over the last year is really all the time, how are we thinking about, how are we thinking about what our focus should be? And it should be, you know, it's really what, what can we uniquely bring to the table? And when we think about that in philanthropies, it's the work that we do and the different digital inclusion initiatives that we have, and we have you know, Microsoft has focused on that for you know for for decades. We also look at how we can work with nonprofits to help them leverage technology to help build their own capacity to scale and to do more and to advance their own missions. We think about how to leverage our uh, very active employee base. Um, we have a really robust employee engagement program. So we, uh, you know, we look at how we can we can best leverage the generosity of our employees and uh, in, in in both both the time and uh, uh, donations that they make, and we think also about how we could connect as a as a convener and how can we bring others to the table around the issues that we're focused on. And you know what? I think that's a great pause because I always do this section called by the numbers. Mm -hmm. And so to give a greater sense to our listeners of the breadth and the scope of Microsoft, if you'll allow me, let me go a little business overview, but then your delicious programming because it's great. The company was founded in 1975. You know, and I think back, gee, what was I doing in 1975? Um, its revenues are over 143 billion. It has over 160,000 employees, over 75 million customers, and you're in over 190 countries. Now, you're number three on the most admired list of Fortune, as I said, since 1998. Um, and in terms of your social impact, this is where the numbers really get interesting. Um, you focus, as you said, 
Uh, one area is inclusive economic opportunity. Last uh, year, you donated $1.9 billion to of products and uh, services um, or discounted products to over 240 not-for-profits globally. Uh, tremendous. You also had 20 new collaborations to close data um, by partnering with universities, companies, and governments. But you also protect fundamental human rights. You had $4 billion contributed to diverse-owned businesses. 100-plus um, services were provided for disaster response in um, 28 countries with over 1,000 employees providing tech support, absolutely critical after a disaster. You commit to a sustainable future with 21 million metric tons of carbon reduced by your suppliers, and then you empower some employees. You may have the most generous corporate matching program. And in conjunction with Microsoft and your employees last year, you donated over $221 million. So that's incredible. So again, getting back to um, Microsoft philanthropies, let, let's kind of unpack that. So let's talk about COVID. Because you did a lot during COVID and you responded quickly. So what was it like being in the center of that, the decision making? Um, and, you know, what really stood out for you? Well, I'll say up front, it was it was certainly a roller coaster. I mean, I think for, for, for everyone, um, the global pandemic affected everyone in some way. Right. And and I always say there's nothing quite as unifying as a global pandemic. <laughs> and, you know, we saw internally just incredible energy and collaboration across the company to help. I mean, everybody was was looking at how can they step up to help address this crisis and, and also externally as well. Um, but it was it was certainly a roller coaster. I, I will say it was in my first year in role and <laughs> some days it was it was uh, really overwhelming because you just saw the extent of the extent of the challenges. Uh, and you know, some days it just felt like, wow, they're just so enormous. Like how, how you know, given what we're doing, how can we really make a dent? And then other days, you know, it was it was fantastic because you felt like, wow, I'm really in a position here to be able to help in some way. So talk about some of the decision and decision processes. I mean, did you have cross-functional team? You You moved really quickly. I was watching you. Right. I mean, I think Microsoft did, um, I mean, this was certainly not just a, a philanthropy's effort. I mean, it was really um, company-wide. And, you know, I mentioned before how um, leadership from the top and, you know, we can talked about Satya and, and his leadership around around these kinds of issues. And likewise for, for, for Brad, who um, who uh, just is, is, is so supportive and was instrumental and at the heart of driving so many of the COVID response issues um, initiatives as well. I think you know, when, when, when COVID struck, it was clear that we needed to do more and, and do more faster. And so we, we did some easy things quickly, like, uh, for example, like converting programmatic grants into general operating grants so that nonprofits could use the most critical needs. You know, we supported some COVID relief funds both here in Washington State and, and globally. We also looked at, in, in philanthropies, we looked at uh, the tech for social impact 
team and, and work. And you know, if you think about nonprofits and just the incredible uh, pressure that they were under, you know, with nonprofits around the world often functioning as first responders and helping to address the, the health and the social and the economic impacts of the of the pandemic and so it was clear that we also had an opportunity to do more to help build the capacity of nonprofits um, who overnight like like the rest of us had to move online and and manage volunteers online manage fundraising opportunities online and so many nonprofits don't have the techno- technology infrastructure so we we also um, uh, kicked off some initiatives there um, specifically for for nonprofits, but but so many parts of the company were activated to respond to COVID. Um, you know, one of the first things the company did as well was to commit to paying hourly employees. So with people having to work remotely, Microsoft stepped up to uh, continue paying its hourly employees regular wages, whether or not their full services were needed, which created a financial safety net for over the, the four and a half thousand hourly employees at the company. You know, there were the, Microsoft's also investing in initiatives to protect public health. Um, that's part of part of that's via our AI for Health uh, initiative. But also, there were additional investments made in COVID COVID research, and all in partnership with nonprofits and academics and and researchers. Um, and we had some, you know, creative initiatives as well. We had like a laptop drive, so uh, having employees donate laptops that they might not might not be using, so that we could get devices into the hands of kids in the region who had to attend school remotely and who otherwise might not have access to a device. To things like uh, we worked with our vendors and suppliers here in, in, in Puget Sound to provide. 330,000 school lunches to mm, all the kids. Really important. Yeah, really yeah, important. All the kids in the region who previously relied on the free lunch program, but of course they're not going to school and so we're missing out on food. And, uh, you know, as you know, for many kids, the free lunch program provides the one secure meal that they would get a day. So, you know, there were just so many different initiatives across the company. And I, I always say that, you know, if there was a silver lining <laughs> out of COVID, it's perhaps this incredible collaboration that we have seen internally and externally. And I, I, I do think there's some of that that we want to hang on to. Can you talk a little bit about how you got, you have a global team. So how did you, you were working remotely in a way, but now you were really remote. So any sort of tips and hints to our listeners, which is you're running this massive philanthropy, colleagues all over the globe. You're going faster. You you don't even know the roadmap to follow for COVID. Anything special besides the collaboration, or how did you make the collaboration work better? Well, firstly, I, you know, over the last year, at times when you feel, I felt personally like a little frustrated at the working from home and whatnot, and I quickly remind myself it is an absolute privilege that we have the opportunity to to work to work remotely. I think from within. With, with, with my team, you know, there were things that we had to think about a lot more deliberately just in terms of how we're staying connected uh, connected with, with the team. Um, you know, we had to be a lot more mindful of um, the different uh, responsibilities that people were juggling um, in addition to their, their work responsibilities and ensure that there was, there was flexibility f- for that. So I, I'm not sure. And I think, you know, across the company in terms of 
collaboration. Uh, it was just, a, I mean, it was initially like a flurry. I think <laughs> I think I had uh, like a hotline <laughs> with Brad <laughs> the first few, first few weeks because there were so many different ideas that were, were um, being discussed and we, you know, we had to kind of quickly think about where are we focusing and get, in, get into a good rhythm there. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a it's a privilege really to be to be in this situation and working for a company that um, has the resources um, and the mindset to, to to step up and help in so many different ways. And it's great that it did. And I saw it. You know, I know that Just Capital reported on you and many others that were at the leading edge. So um, thank you for all those great efforts. Let's turn to some of your programmatic focus areas. Um, inclusive economic opportunity has been something on which you focused for a long time. Um, how has that program grown? And um, maybe you can tell us a story about maybe one grantee uh, that you're particularly proud of. We've been focused in, in philanthropies. Microsoft's been focused for decades on digital in- inclusion and inclusive economic opportunity. Early on during COVID, Satya said, said something like, we've seen two years of digital transformation in two months. And it was... So true. I mean, I, I think almost overnight, COVID upended almost every aspect of people's lives. Uh, obviously, in in you know hugely varying ways, but you know how we connect with our friends and families, how we work, whether we work, uh, how teachers teach, how our kids are learning, and this digital transformation um, was has sort of been driven by demand from business suddenly needing to operate remotely you have you know governments needing to provide services remotely more telehealth schools moving online and clearly what we've seen is is this rapid acceleration presents both challenges and opportunities and we've been focused you know way before COVID on the fact that it's so critical that everybody has access to digital skills that are needed to get the jobs of today. Um, and it's not it's not just tech jobs, it's tech-enabled jobs. We see almost every job requires some level of digital skills and digital fluency, even if it's not a tech job. And this digital divide isn't new um, and the focus on digital skills isn't new, um, but COVID has exacerbated the issue. It's really driving a wedge between those who have access to the digital skills and those who, who don't. And so it's really essential that people get the digital skills and have access to get, get those skills needed to um, respond to this, this rapid transformation. Absolutely. So why don't we, there's a nice segue to talk about Teals. Because I know that Teals is a beloved initiative of the company. So if you can explain the genesis of it, it's got a great story, and then how it's grown exponentially and, and it had a huge impact. Teals is, it is an amazing program. Um, it stands for Technology, Education and Literacy in Schools, which is why we call it Teals. <laughs> um, and it helps bring computer science to schools across the US and, and recently um, has expanded to some schools in, in British Columbia. And it was founded by a computer science engineer um, called Kevin Wang about 12 years ago. And it's a really fantastic program. It, it relies on 
volunteers from the tech industry and it's a team it's a like a team teach model so classroom teachers partner with volunteers from the tech industry and they um you know they work alongside for a period of time until the the teacher and it's typically the maths or the science teacher but you can be other teachers as well learn to teach computer science independently over time and so if you look at the the last school year so the 20 2020 20 21 school year, 10,000 students in the United States and and BC had the opportunity to access uh, the AP computer science courses and, you know, which adds to the, I think it's around 85,000 students since the program began in in 2009. So Teals is currently in, in 450 high schools across the country. Um, And it's, it's fantastic. It, it, as a, it relies on volunteers. So we've got about 1,500 volunteers from around 650 companies. Um, and people, people sign up to teach for the school year and, you know, it's typically the first class of the day. Um, it's a really significant commitment um, from these in, in incredible volunteers. And actually one, as part of the broader company commitments on racial equity, um, we are also expanding TEALS over the next five years to 620 more high schools that have oh, great. High schools great. that have a higher percentage of uh, African-American and black students as well. I know there's a lot of listeners and they go, oh, come on. I mean, you gave it away. This was like our idea and you have all of these partners. How can you get credit for it? But that's not the reason. But I would love to hear about because when Kevin started, I guess, uh, you know, history says, eh, he, you know, it was he called a couple friends and said, let's do it. But it caught on like wildfire. And so it says a lot about the company's ethos that it's so collaborative and open. Any any key learning there? Because you shared all the, the power and the the glory. Well, I mean, I think this isn't a, this isn't a, this is not a Microsoft issue. I mean, this is an issue for, it was an issue for the, for the country in terms of the numbers of schools that you know, did not have access to computer science. And then you look at, you know, the number of jobs that re- require uh, computer science um, degrees. I think the, well, f- I mean, firstly, Kevin had a real vision and, uh, you know, it's incredible the program that he, he, he built I think what is what is key is that the fact that you do have volunteers from 650, 650 companies. I mean, we're not just relying on Microsoft volunteers. I mean, this is this is helping. This is makes it sustainable. Sustainable, absolutely. Help, yeah, helping the the industry, and it's helping people you know across the country. So I so I hear you have this twenty five million initiative. That's so. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah. So. In June last year, um, you know, I mentioned that we had had we'd had a focus on skilling for employability, skilling for livelihoods um, for you know for some time. But in when COVID hit, uh, obviously, uh, you know, unemployment numbers um, started skyrocketing, and global unemployment this this year might reach a quarter of a billion people. And so that was an area, you know, where we really were focused and thinking, okay, we're doing this work, but how do we do it more? How do we go bigger? How do we do it faster? Um, And we we wanted to do more to expand access to 
digital skills, especially for people that were hardest hit by by job losses. So in June last year, Microsoft announced, um, together with LinkedIn, announced a commitment to bring more digital skills to 25 million people and provide access to the kinds of skills that we think um, will help find a job at a time of high employment. And we, you know, if you think about how we're doing this, it's really three things. Firstly, we're, we're working with, with LinkedIn and using LinkedIn, LinkedIn data to determine the in-demand roles and also the skills needed to fill them. And secondly, we're providing people with access to that curriculum, so the content and the pathways um, to to get those skills, and then offering a way for people to get certified and then help signal uh, that certification and their skills to employees, employers who are, are hiring. I have to say, I cannot live without LinkedIn. Um, I'm on it. So it's, it's such a, a, just such a valuable resource for content and connection making. I've, you know, certainly during, especially during COVID, a lot of my old friends and colleagues just, we all got back together. Um, so have you been able to monitor and to, um, figure out how many connections, how many jobs have you gotten people into? through this initiative? Well, we know, um, we know that we have, uh, we hit that 25 um, million number uh, at the end of 2020. Um, and so right now we're looking at how can we, how can we build on that? How, we, how, how can we continue to help those people that have connected with these pathways and these learning opportunities? Um, so there's, there's more to come. Oh, that's fantastic. You got that really fast. So we, we, we hope that it's just something you're going to keep going. Great collaboration. Let's pivot to one of your other important commitments, and that's to protect fundamental rights. And, and so, you know, why is it important for a technology company to go in this direction? And what are one or two of the actions that you're really proud of in this arena? Well, I think recent events uh, over the last year have really highlighted how much work is is needed to protect the fundamental rights of people around the world. Last June, uh, Satya made some further commitments to address uh, syst- systemic racial injustice and inequity, and both within both within Microsoft and also in communities around the world, and. Um, he talked about commitments in three areas. How do we help strengthen communities? How do we engage our own ecosystem at, at Microsoft? And then how do we increase representation and strengthen our culture of, of, in, of inclusion? Philanthropies is actually driving three uh, key initiatives as part of those broader company commitments. And it's uh, in the first bucket there around strengthening our communities. And I'm you know, really uh, excited about these initiatives uh, and the impact that they might have. Um, one is around uh, that I mentioned earlier, TEALS. So taking TEALS, um, getting computer science to more schools that have a high percentage of Black and African-American students. And so the goal there is to expand to 620 um, high schools uh, over the next five years. Another initiative we kicked off was a community skills grants program. And we there we were in, investing $5 million in cash grants to community-based nonprofit organizations 
that are both led by and serving African-American people um, and organisations that are providing digital skills training to these communities. Um, and then the third uh, initiative that we're focused on in philanthropy is, is helping to build a capacity of nonprofits um, serving African-American communities. So how do we help provide affordable access uh, to technology and technology support um, to those to those organisations? I think the one the one thing um, the community with the community skills grants program, the way that we have uh, gone about that. I think is is a little different to how how we have sometimes worked in the past. We have been learning learning a lot. We brought in uh, stakeholders from the community to help us design that program to help us think about like what would success look like. Um, and I think you know that's something that um, that that we want to think more broadly about in terms of how do we apply that? How do we have community at the table? in more of our programs as we did for that particular program. I think there's a lot that we're, you know, we're learning there. Let's take a pause from our conversation with Kate and turn to our In the Nose section. Well, it's been about four to six weeks when this runs since the Super Bowl. And, um, of course, we all love the game. And Tom Brady was great. Um, He'll, you know, forever young. But we also watch for the commercials and the conversation that we can have. Are they good? Are they bad? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Do you want to throw some Doritos at the TV or do you want to eat them? Actually, prior to the big game... When we started seeing, again, those numbers about buying time, $5.5 million to buy a 30-second spot, it just got in my craw. And I said, you know, what could a company do? And there's 40 to 50 ads on the Super Bowl. What happens if some of them sat out? Like Budweiser. And Budweiser took its funds, partnered with the Ad Council, and created a commercial that only ran online to encourage people to get a vaccination to the pandemic, to COVID-19. Kudos for Budweiser. Of course, other brands from Anheuser-Busch, they did, they did advertise. But it really bothered me. So with my colleague, Kristen Kenny. We started doing a little bit of analysis of what could, and we rounded it up to six million, because you've got you know agency fees and you also have talent, so it could have gone to seven or eight. But we decided to take a six million number and we asked the question: Reaching one hundred million people at once certainly comes at a high cost, but the sticker price of a Super Bowl ad comes with deeper implications, both for brands and society. What if that money was used for good? So here's a few numbers that we threw out to the readers of Sustainable Brands who broke the story right before the Super Bowl. If you worked with Feeding America, you could provide 60 million meals to the hungry. Or with Habitat for Humanity, you could build about 50 houses across the U.S. UNICEF could deliver 
2.5 to 3 million doses of malaria treatments. Action Against Hunger could save the lives of 40,000 children who might otherwise die from hunger. The Nova Scotia Nature Trust could save 240,000 acres of forest as part of its Double the Wild campaign. Best Friends Animal Society could save over 40,000 homeless dogs and cats from being euthanized and finding forever homes. United Negro College Fund might send 150 students to a four-year college tuition-free. Of course, that's likely at a state university because the tuition had to be a bit lower. So you can see, and those are just only some of the ways you could use $6 million for good. So I want to challenge companies to truly say, do we want to spend $6 million, $7 million, $8 million on the Super Bowl? Why don't we do it for something really innovative and breakthrough? And I'll have to give a plug for myself. You could buy the development and you could handle the distribution for most of my special Aflac ducks, a social robot that we created for Aflac that that comforts children going through a thousand days of pediatric cancer treatments. It helps them with comfort. It helps them to feel like they're not alone. It speaks, it quacks, it, it, it purrs. It's a really cool item. And I'd like to do one for autism. So if there's anybody out there that wants to help create a social robot to help kids communicate with autism, I'm your gal. I'd like to make another comment about the Super Bowl and their ads. I loved Jeep The Road Ahead. And Jeep, in its two-minute spot with Bruce Springsteen, the first that he's ever done, and he's been approached about 10 times to do an ad, finally a brand looked at its core values, his core values, and then found an intersection, which was the divided country that we're in. And they created this amazing short, I'm going to call it a film. Now, how did the public respond? 50%, yay! 50%, no. It was seen to be the most divisive spot shown during the Super Bowl. But it was memorable. And it truly wasn't about seeing the Jeep and doing wheelies and going through snow and river and rocks. It was about a theme, about a man and a country looking at the middle of the country and how could we come back together. I think it was great. So kudos. I'm going to give you a Carol Cone on purpose. I've been called the purpose queen or recently the purpose goddess. A two thumbs up and a woohoo. Love what you did, Jeep. But here's my challenge to you. I eagerly went online to find out more about the road ahead. But there's not what I wanted to see. I want to see how you're going to bring people together. The Jeep spot caused a lot of conversation. Um, consumer intelligence company Brandwatch said that Jeep was the fifth most cited brand during the game with 27,000 mentions on Twitter, giving it about a 3% of all brand, man- brand mentions for the night. Social analytics firm Talkwalker found Jeep generated 47,000 mentions on Sunday and has since generated another 150,000 engagements, making an increase of over 1,000% 
from February 6th. An ad week had the following comments. In 2021, the message of unity is seen as partisan with, depending on your ideology, the opposite side of the political spectrum not contributing to bringing the nation back together. Jeep would have had to have had known that this message and tone would be received as such from the public. The folks at Jeep are really smart. The visuals, the words, they were beautiful. I'm thrilled and I want to give kudos again to Jeep for taking this on, having the guts and the bravado to do it. And I know this is going to help them move forward with the brand. And I hope that six months or a year from now, they're going to be doing actions on a social impact basis to truly help us to reunite. So kudos to Jeep. Now back to our conversation with Kate at Microsoft. I want to ask um, just a couple things that are probably outside of Microsoft philanthropies, but something that just made me really got my attention. Um, when you declared to go carbon negative by 2030, that was like, whoa, that is a big, bold bet. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just curious about, you know, it's tangential to what you're doing, but it's part of your ethos. How did you feel when you heard that? Were you part of any of those discussions? I think it's, I mean, it's an incredible, uh, ambitious goal. Um, and, you know, when I think about the Microsoft mission to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. And I think about how, how the company uh, is in such is very focused on how do we ensure that the technology being created benefits everyone on the planet, including the planet itself. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a, a, a fantastic initiative. Um, I, th I think it, um, I can speak for so many people, you know, we just felt so proud, you know, so proud of working for a company that um, takes on takes on these ambitious goals and, uh, you know, really steps up for something that is, is uh, you know, a global issue. Yeah, it was, I was just being in the field when we saw that and everybody was talking about it and it, and it wasn't one of these pie in the sky things. It was like, oh yeah. Microsoft, they continue to lead. They continue to, to be introspective. Um, you know, they, they look at all of their constituents and I'm glad you said that the planet is a stakeholder. Right. So that's real, that's really great. I want to also just mention one of the other things about Microsoft that I love. And by the way, I give speeches all over and I just realized I have at least three or four references to Microsoft in my speech. <laughs> so, so one of the, the areas that I talk about is, is meaning. And providing meaning. And uh, the other, and this is more product related, but when you created the adaptive controller to allow anybody with, a, with different abilities to play, mm -hmm. children or adults, I, I just said, oh my God, that's so smart. And I know that you won tons of awards in Cannes. So again, I don't know if you got to touch that at all, or you just got to be a bystander and you just felt a lot of pride. I was, a, I was for sure was a bystander and, and feeling a lot of pride, but it, I think it's a good example of how, how the, this concept of profit and purpose, um, 
is being thought about in companies. You know, I think traditionally, um, or maybe you know, many years ago, the concept of you know, the, the, those ideas were pr- perhaps more siloed than they are today. And I think more and more companies are thinking about how to how to think about profit and purpose together and that they they can coexist and perhaps they they should coexist and so it speaks to how uh, social impact initiatives are popping up uh, across the company and and not just in in philanthropies so now you gave me a great segue so i want to talk about your employee giving and matching because you have made philanthropists or social impact you know, entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs all over the world with your own people. So can you talk about, it's such a generous program and how it works and how you feel to your point, it knits the company together. We, we often say that giving is in our DNA. Um, and it really is. I mean, it really is. Uh, Microsoft employees have been so engaged in the employee giving program since it started uh, in 1983. Um, I'll say, I will say this year, our, our, our culture of giving is stronger than it's ever been. Uh, we hit a lot of new milestones this year with the, with the company giving program. Um, we, back in June, uh, we reached a new milestone of over $2 billion in employee giving, including the company match um, since the start of the program. Uh, And I think you mentioned that, you know, last fiscal year, employees donated uh, about $221 million inclusive of the match to more than 30,000 non-profits. 30,000. I know. And and actually, the the hours, there were uh, employees volunteered more than 750,000 hours in the U.S. alone, which... Wow. That's about 67 years of volunteering. <laughs> okay. that out. I was like, that's amazing. Um, but I think, you know, these results remind us of every day, they remind us of, of the generosity of Microsoft employees and also the diversity of uh, the organisations and the causes that our employees care about um, uh, and, and the collective power of our employee engagement program. Um, you know, we can talk about helping 30,000 nonprofits and 750,000 hours of volunteering, but the most important thing to remember is behind those numbers are real people and, and real lives being impacted. And we for sure just saw our employees step up so much over the last year uh, in terms of COVID response efforts. It's really, it's, it's really amazing. Our, our listeners, it's it's a podcast, but Kate is just beaming because she just, you know, she just just loves the the authenticity of it. See, that's what is so great about, and and also I just think that again the culture that you know Microsoft in the beginning, you know, when Bill Gates, you know, wanted to you know put a, a computer on everyone's desk, and he did it with such fervor, and and now it's like helping the world to truly understand, you know, how technology can benefit the world. So, so I think that's great. Obviously, AI is really important to the company and you have created this highly strategic umbrella called AI for good. Mm-hmm. And, and that sounds really in, intriguing. Can you tell us about the various initiatives under it? 
It's an it's an incredible uh, initiative, and there's there's we have AI for AI for Earth, we have AI for accessibility, uh, we have AI for humanitarian action, which sits in in philanthropies, um, uh, AI for culture, and we have um, you know this is all about how to how to harness the power of AI, and how do we work with um, others that are. Uh, uh, you know, working in these areas to help them harness the power of AI. It's, um, you know, it's, it's terrific. In, in philanthropies, you know, we have AI for humanitarian action um, and that's all about how do we help uh, address the world recover, you know, how do we help the world recover from disasters, uh, address the needs of women and children, refugees and displaced people, how do we promote respect for human human rights? Um, but then there's these other initiatives as well um, around accessibility and AI for Earth. It's a fantastic way to um, partner with organisations that are doing, you know, doing terrific work in these areas and see if there's a way that uh, we can um, help support that work. That's a, an extraordinary direction, and it's so spot on, spot on for our needs. Um, unfortunately, we're getting down to the to the bottom of our conversation, but you know, you and I could chat for the longest time. So, I always love to to end our conversations with our guests, where you can give three insights for someone who is. They're on the career in terms of sustainability or purpose. They want to work perhaps in, in an organization in Microsoft philanthropies. And, you know, what kind of, or it's a student, or it's a, a lot, get a lot of career changers. Everybody wants to work in purpose. But what are three insights that you want to give to someone to truly steward the direction of their company or their brand. So it's much more impactful in terms of, you know, what it does and then its outcomes. One thing I love about the, the, the mission of mission of Microsoft, right. And I think Satya did an, a great job distilling what could be as like a super complicated mission into something very succinct and very powerful. That's, that's relevant, whatever your role is at the company. Cause I, wherever you sit, you can see how your role can contribute to that mission and how, how you can be an agent of change. And I think the first thing I'd say is if you're, you know, to, if you're interested in, in purpose and social impact work and, and making a difference, you don't necessarily need to sit in the philanthropies organisation or the CSR organisation. Like you should really look at, you know, what, what is your role? Where do you have influence? Um, what could your own business um, be doing to focus on? on this work. The second thing I would say is I have a, you know, a lot of people uh, reaching out who are really interested in working in philanthropies and um, which is fantastic. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they'll often lead with, I'm, I'm really passionate about philanthropies, which is fantastic. Um, but I think it's also so important to be really clear about like what are the what are the skill sets that you that you can bring to this work. I mean, one of the one of the reasons that I was uh, really interested in this role is, I of course was interested in philanthropies. I was very interested in in the the social impact initiatives um, and the you know the issues that we care about. But I'm also really interested in the, I don't know if it's the right way to phrase it, but like the business of philanthropies and the opportunity that we have to think about um, the broader company resources and how to have different kinds of partnerships 
uh, internally to, to, to do this work. So I would, you know, I would, um, that's probably the second piece of advice there. <laughs> no, but I think that's wonderful because you started out that way. That's why I asked you about when you, when you sit in the, ch- the chief, you know, when you're chief of staff and when you have the legal background, so you're deep in the business, you immediately brought a business view to doing good and and you're you're it's it's just knitted in everything you're saying so and and that's where it's going so i'm thrilled you're sharing that with our listeners well it's it's interesting i was having a call with somebody in the business last week and they made this comment to me and they said something like um well philanthropies used to used to um sit off to this to the side but now that social impact is becoming much more mainstream. Um, and I, and I, I thought about that afterwards and I was like that, I mean, it's, it's fantastic, right? I mean, I think it's um, people, uh, more people across the company see uh, the responsibility that the company has to do this, to, to, to do this work um, and, and to make a difference. And, and I think more people are also seeing the, the value that, that, this work can have more broadly across the the company and the relationships that the company has more broadly as well. Yeah. And I'm sure that they all, they all, they probably pitch you every day. You must, I'm sure you're giving career advice, at least to your Microsoft (laughs) colleagues every single day. I I threaten on my end, I'm going to hold like webinars, you know, like how do you get a job in in purpose? So this has been a fabulous conversation, Kate. I just wanted to say, I I know there's a lot more that you might want to share, but are there a few more closing comments that you'd like to share about the power of Microsoft philanthropies or a story within your, your work that just is, you know, so memorable, but you know, I'm turning over the mic to you. Maybe, maybe, maybe two things that are, are sort of top of mind for me of late. And one actually came out of a conversation uh, that I was having with some colleagues last week. And um, they were talking about uh, this, uh, uh, the economist Theodore Levitt and how he talks about, you know, you should focus on customer needs rather than a corporation's products. And it's this idea that, you know, people don't want, quarter inch drill bits they want quarter inch holes and and this 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 uh colleague of mine who's in philanthropies um he sort of took a little bit further and said well people don't really want quarter inch holes either they want maybe they want shelves in their garage so that they can store their tools and feel more organized and free up space to park their their car um and I think that that same principle applies to our work. People, people, when we, you know, digital, we anchor so much of the work we do in philanthropies around digital inclusion, you know, digital equity, digital inequity. <laughs> um, but people don't want or sort of need digital inclusion. They want, you know, they want an education so that they get skills needed to have a livelihood that can provide a good life for them and their family. And so it was just a really good reminder, um, that conversation last week, that just remaining focused on the outcomes and the benefits that our programs can have on on communities around around the world. And you just defined achieve more. Right. (laughs) Because it's not about the bit or the four inch hole or whatever it's about what you're doing with it exactly exactly and and then the the last thing i would say is you know we've talked about how the the sort of collective urgency over the last year has 
led to increased collaboration and partnerships and, you know, more appetite to partner in new ways. And that collaboration is, is essential. You know, these issues that we're talking about are just too massive for any one company or one government or, you know, one industry to tackle alone. You know, I think it's important to think about partnerships in new ways. And I, there's a quote that I love that I, I always talk about just because I think it's so true. If you want to go wide, go with government. If you want to go deep, you go with NGOs and academic institutions. If you want to go fast, you go with the private sector. And if you want to go far, you must go together. I think about this a lot and I think it's it's never been more important to come together and think about partnerships in new ways so that we can help address these issues that we care about. Fantastic. That That is just a wonderful way to end our conversation. I want to thank you, Kate. Um, it's been just a joy to see Microsoft go so far um, since the earliest days. And so thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And I just want to ask our listeners, what do you stand for? <laughs> <laughs>